edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey coming at you this evening with a um, musician, poet. Um, uh, she is the uh, keyboardist and vocalist of the dream pop band Cream Vellum. Um, they have a EP out. It's called Venus. Um, she's also working on a new project. It's a it's a interesting uh, noise type project and uh, I'm looking forward to it's called mirror of light um, which uh, I'm excited to talk to her about as well as her passions artistry and why she does what she does so um, thank you for joining me tonight Elise McArdle thank you for having me Ben Slowey oh my god of course um, how are you wow I'm doing pretty good I mean I'm hanging in there for sure, like weird times and stuff, but I think I'm doing well. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing like as well as can be expected. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm on, on the same boat. Uh, I'm, it depends on the day. Sometimes yeah. it depends on the hour. Um, the, the peaks are really good, but the valleys are terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but Luckily, like doing the show and reconnecting with folks has been um, most uh, pivotal in helping me kind of like keep my sanity right now, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I've been finding that too. Yeah. I think for a little while in the summer, we were all pretty freaked out and we're just kind of in that freeze mode, you know, like the fight, flight, freeze. And we were all just kind of frozen, waiting to somehow get a sign that everything was okay and we could like go back to our lives um and now I think you know with fall here and kind of towards the end of the summer for me we've sort of collectively hit a point of like releasing that freeze instinct and still being like okay we have to figure out how to be safe and how to keep our loved ones safe but still kind of go forward and like release the freeze and like start moving our limbs again you know whatever that means seeing people in safe ways being social yeah. Remember when we thought we were going to have a summer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, man, oh, yeah. yeah, like, man, this will blow over in a month. You know, I'm going to get my employment. I'll be in. I'll be, I'll be just fine. Um, it took two and a half months to get my unemployment. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Uh, yeah. No, there's not much of a safety net. No. And it has not gotten any better. It's, it is just, uh, you know, ballooned um, over the last couple months. Um, but like I said, um, you know, I've been finding outlets and ways to feel um, like I'm playing my part. Um, so, uh, well, at least what did you do today? Great question. Um, today I mostly did errands. I went to the co-op and got some food and um, some bread and um, some fruit. And I went and got a COVID test today. Oh, I got one as well. Oh, where do you go? I uh, went to Miller Park. Okay, cool. Yeah, I went to Shalem Healing used to be in River West and now they're on MLK out of Bader Health. Um, but it's nice. It's free. You just walk up. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, 
is it um it's um are there any like stipulations like or can you just really just go if you are eager to get tested there actually aren't that's something that i really like about it um i got tested through cvs in the summer and it was a whole process you know i had to fill out the thing and they had very limited time slots and then i didn't get my results for two weeks oh. i'm a little bit turned off of like the cvs and walgreens thing but thank god i switched to them because it's been really great <laughs> yeah well no I, i'm glad you uh brought them up uh because i actually didn't know that they were still doing it yeah. um well that would be good to know um maybe uh maybe i'll try doing that next because the lines at miller park are like it takes an hour and a half um like i was going to umos most of the time uh over the summer i did uh walgreens a couple times but it's um it's hard because like I don't I don't have a car, so I have to rely on like my comrades if um if like I can like hitch a ride and get tested. And luckily a couple of us went today. But bicycle is always there for me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, uh but I did that too. Um I've I am uh eight for eight so far and this is nine, so Wow. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's such a good feeling to get the results back and just be like, sick, didn't infect anyone this week. Yeah. Love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What uh what are you sipping on this evening? Oh, I'm sipping on a hot toddy, Ben. God. A pretty mild hot toddy. And oh I was thinking, God. I wish when I was making it, I was like, I wish I could make one for Ben and hand him it through the screen because it's <laughs> fucking delicious. It turned oh, out. <laughs> Oh, I would so go for one right now. No, that's the tragedy of Zoom. Totally. I no, think it's like Rooibos, I think it's pronounced, or Rooibos, um, like red tea, really and nice. a little brandy, and lots of honey. So oh, damn. Yeah. That's, that sounds like, I'll have to have an Elise famous hot toddy. Yes, <laughs> fuck it up. <laughs> we should have coordinated that, like, um, like uh made it look like we're passing each other it through the screen ah! like, pitching past the camera like mm. that. <laughs> yeah that would be next level yeah i'm just over here uh drinking the hams so nice cheers right. man mm. 13 bucks at a for a 30 rack of pick and save um it's you can't you can't beat that so i just yeah the stuff. price is right yeah yeah honestly yeah for real i once i did get my unemployment i started drinking um slightly better caliber beers mm -hmm. but um but now uh I, i've spent most of my unemployment money <laughs> what we talk about on mr nice guy we talk love and fear passion and creativity and uh yeah so um i've been really looking forward to having you on the show for a long time elise um i think you are I've always like thought of you just as a really like down to earth and insightful individual with that just sees the world in a really like you know artistic way um and uh, you know I know that you know like you studied literary theory at UWM you were gone in North Dakota for a while so um didn't see you a whole lot 
but you're back here mm-hmm. and uh it's good to have you back it's good to be back Thank you. yes um so uh we first met when I had just begun um, covering shows for Breaking and Entering um, uh-huh. early 2019. And um, so I was just like, I would be perusing like Facebook looking for bands to cover. Um, and uh, all these like bars in River West have shows. And like I saw High Dive and I saw Bremen. And, um, and uh, I think I had heard of cream vellum just from like looking at like facebook but then like turns out that um my coworker at the uh, roast coffee company ryan sablay at the time uh, was talking about this band he just joined um he was like yeah like i guess i'm in this band now and like they're like in the middle of recording an ep and uh i gotta learn all the songs like this weekend <laughs> and it's like hey that's dope dude and but i didn't realize that band was cream vellum and so like when i went to go cover your your uh your show at high dive the ep release show um i was so like uh like ecstatic to see him and like see his band and uh that was when we met um that was a great night Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, yeah, he really was a trooper. Props to Ryan because he dove right in. Um, it's true, he had talked to me about wanting to play music together, and we were looking for a bassist, coincidentally, so I asked him if he would want to play, and he did, but I was like, all right, but just so you know, we're literally recording next week. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I wanted to get him on the album because, um, you know, I like was ready to go for it with him, and he's a really talented musician, and he's very multifaceted because he doesn't just play bass; he also plays guitar and violin, um, and he just has a really good ear and just like a very like sonic mind. Like he can pick up on a lot of different things that are happening in a song. So he's a great musician and a really great bassist. So I wanted him to be on that album so that he could like feel included and like <laughs> be attached to it in that way. Um, so we would, well, we were all recording, the three of us, me, Hans, and Tyler, Ryan would be sitting in the mixing booth, practicing along to our parts while, yeah. while we were recording. So oh, <laughs> he yeah. really went for it. <laughs> that's, hey, that shows, um, that's some real uh, ambition to like be a part of this, you know? Yeah. So, oh yeah. Big ups to Ryan. I, I know, I, right? <laughs> I, I miss him a lot. Um, I know he's working on his own EP, uh-huh. uh, which I'm excited to hear what he's been working on. Um, we were going to do an episode two, but um, we're, we decided to push it back a little bit, but he will be here eventually. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Elise, I guess, like, before we really talk about everything that's going on right now, um, um, what you're working on, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your own background. So to start, um, are you from Milwaukee? I'm not. I grew up in a town called Batavia, Illinois, uh, which is kind of just a small town near Aurora, Wayneville. Isn't that where um, the Argonne Laboratory is in Batavia? Fermilab is there. Okay. That's what you're thinking of. It's a particle accelerator. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
after. That's the only thing I really know about Batavia. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, One time my partner Eddie was like, when I was explaining what Fermilab is to him, and it's this like, I don't even know if I can explain it, but it's a particle accelerator, whatever that means. So they like try to they have a big a hadron collider and mm -hmm. they it's underground. It's like fucking big. It's like the size of a school track or whatever. And they, I guess, send atoms towards each other and the atoms crash into each other and then like break apart into smaller pieces. <laughs> and that like does something. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the shit that's gonna like, you know, crumble organisms and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was trying to explain to Daddy and he's like, have you ever considered that growing up next to that thing is like the source of all your like problems and joys yeah. in life? <laughs> I was like, could be. <laughs> yeah. It explains yeah. more than you think. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet I bet it does, you know. Yeah, that's uh it's like living near something that could literally like, you know, alter life as we know it. Yeah, it's right down the street. <laughs> Um, well, that's dope. I'm from Illinois as well. Ah. I'm, I grew up on in the south suburbs. A um, little town called Flossmoor, Illinois, which is next to Tinley Park. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know where that is. You do? Um, yeah, I've been around the Tinley Park area before. My dad grew up in Oak Park and my mom grew up in Elmhurst, so they're both from a little closer into the city. Oh, sure. Dope. Cool. Um, well, um, so I guess I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of like when you were, so when you were young, when you were a kid, um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, it's a cute question. Um, you know, I think it changed really frequently. I think some days I wanted to be an actress and some days I wanted to be a teacher. I probably wanted to be a writer often. Those are probably like the main three. I guess you kind of lived into uh, that existence uh, a little bit, you know, with um, the writing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess. So uh, when did you kind of, when did music kind of first start with you? Like, um, and, and as a creative outlet, when did you start playing? Um, well, I actually played French horn first in elementary school beautiful instrument yeah yeah i love it i have it here oh hell yeah yeah um, yeah it's over there <laughs> uh, i i remember I, I was a clarinet and saxophone mm -hmm. but i remember they said french horn was like the most difficult instrument to learn mm -hmm. in band yeah it it has its hard moments um I don't know if I'd say if it's the most difficult. I have a hard time getting sound out of woodwind instruments. Like I kind of just like blow until I'm dizzy on them. So I think it just depends kind of on like, you know, your own body and how, what's most intuitive for you for like making noise. Um, but yeah, it's in an interesting register. It's a very mellow instrument. It kind of isn't too high or too low. It's right in the middle. Um, it's kind of like similar in frequency to a cello, I want to say. Um, so I was drawn to that. I love the sound of it. I still do. Um, and I think, you know, when I picked it in fourth grade, I was like, ooh, no one's picking this one. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, so, um, so that's what you started with. Um, did you like play through like middle school and high school? Yeah, I did. Um, in different like, you know, iterations. I was in 
orchestra, band, um, you know, like community orchestras and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I was like mildly competitive with it in high school and then a little bit in college for the first couple years of college. I just kind of had it as this thing that I like knew that I loved to do. Um, but that world of like competitive classical instruments is so like, I don't know, you have to be like very dedicated to it. Um, and it is pretty high stress. Like, you know, you go in for like, they call them juries where you have your instrument and then you just like sit in front of a panel of judges, like once or a couple times a semester and you have to like play this music, you know, usually it's memorized. Um, and they just like judge you on it. So it's hard. Uh, oh, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I remember like those um, doing like the uh, solo ensemble. Yeah. Stuff, and that was always like practice like the same piece. And it's like the hardest thing you've ever like had to play. Practice <laughs> it for months. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And then like you're just in a room with like some really like stern looking adults that <laughs> are just assessing your every little every little movement mm-hmm. um yeah it, it can be really high stress mm-hmm. um you came to milwaukee for uwm um yeah i actually originally went to whitewater for a year and then transferred over and i was in marching band at whitewater um but yeah i mean i wisconsin has like you know, slightly better priced colleges than Illinois. Um, and I don't know, I just, I like Milwaukee a lot. I like the pace of living here. It's a little bit um, slower than Chicago. It's got a little bit more green space than mm-hmm. Chicago, but it's still, you know, a city. There's a lot of people, a lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, like, so, so you, so you studied literary theory. Um, what, uh, I guess kind of what, uh, you know, made you want to end up doing that? Uh, well, I had always just been a big reader, like since I was really little. Um, and I started out actually in like communications and just like media studies in general. Um, but I thought, you know, that writing was where I had the strongest skill set. And then I kind of found critical theory my like junior year of college I just kind of like discovered it from a couple classes that I was taking and it really blew my mind and it was um you know a way of looking at the world that combined a lot of different disciplines that had that psychology like psychoanalysis angle because I was also interested in psychology um and it has like an economic angle too depending on what you're reading and it's just about like power relations um yeah, and, you know, I found it really enlightening, like, the first theorists that I had read, like, Foucault and Derrida, um, and then, you know, I progressed and eventually got a little bit deeper and got more into, like, Lacan and Kristeva, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I fell in love with it. I, like, was just enraptured by, um, the fact that all these things in life, which kind of operate under the surface could be explained like ideologies and stuff um, and different structures that, you know, they had been already studied by theorists and that we could kind of like engage in that discourse, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember, like, I took AP English my senior year of high school, and like, um, we talked a lot about postmodernism, mm-hmm. and uh, that stuff is like it's so hard to even like really define that term. Uh-huh. Essentially, just like the idea that you can undo anything, society can undo anything, like if it really, you know, if the dialectics drew society in in that direction, like, you know, people could change the way things are if they organized and uh, it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think like it was so revelatory to me because I didn't have words to describe kind of like the conditions that we're living in. And the concept of postmodernism, and even like post postmodernism, you know, if you want to see it that way, or post structuralism, those terms describe kind of like this current state of being past a reality where things, you know, like make sense, where, you know, the like signifiers or however you want to put it that are happening in like political and social dialogue, you know, they're no longer like communicating with each other in any coherent way if they ever were. Um, and I think, you know, it does have to do with like capitalism, like late capitalism, hyper-capitalism. Um, you know, Baudrillard is a really good theorist for talking about this, I would say, and Guy Debord as well, um, Society of the Spectacle, I would recommend if you're interested in it. Um, but just, yeah, the way we've kind of like, we are living beyond like, a, you know, a point of like sense-making in our like, you know, postmodernism is like no grand narratives. so in our like social narrative. So I don't know if that was, you know, uh, well put or not, but that is something I liked about. It does make sense. (laughs) It definitely makes sense. And um, yeah, and it applies directly to like revolutionary organizing. And Mm -hmm. um, so you were also in a, you went went to grad school Uh uh, in North Dakota. And I remember that was initially you um, wanted to talk about that when we first talked about doing this was like being in grad school. Um, so I guess I'd love um, I'd love to hear kind of more about like the program itself that you were in um, out there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I was in like an interdisciplinary program within the English department. So I did um, like teaching. I was a TA. So I was doing writing teaching uh, for freshmen and sophomores. And then I was also studying uh, like literary theory. And I had some, you know, other classes mixed in. Let me think what else I had. I had like a fiction writing class, um, but mostly theory and teaching. So it kept me pretty busy. For sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So um, yeah, what do you have to say about it? Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, I loved being in school. There were moments towards the end where I started to become a little bit disillusioned on this idea of like an academic career. Um, I mean, I always loved the material. And when I started out grad school, I just was so passionate about studying English and writing that I thought like nothing could ever damper that because, you know, Academia is hard. It can be shitty. Like, it's not, you know, it takes a toll on people. Um, just kind of like the expectations 
and you know the job prospects and stuff afterwards so yeah I mean it was definitely like a journey it started to kind of like wear me down at the end I would say um yeah I just sort of hit a point with it where I didn't feel like an academic career was going to be the way that my like talents in the world were most like used in order to have an academic career you have to be ready to like pick up and move at a moment's notice totally uproot your life you have to really chase these like tenure track positions um yeah and before you do that you have to ta an adjunct for a really long time and it's kind of an exploitative position because tas and adjuncts do so much of the labor in terms of uh like running these freshman sophomore even junior classes and you know they don't have any job security and they're kind of like treated like shit by the admin um i know when i was in grad school and i loved my department and everyone in my department was really great but i wasn't going to stay there forever um but while i was there there were cost of living adjustment strikes going on widespread across california among graduate students who were complaining that their monthly stipends weren't enough to even live in these towns that they were living in in California. So they'd been striking a lot. And then at the end of the year, like a bunch of them got fired by the administration. So I, you know, I think I'm a little bit disillusioned on how, what academia is like right now, just like the structure of it. it it's very hierarchical um, and it's kind of predatory. I hate to say it, you know, I hope I don't like want to go back on these words someday, but. <laughs> You know, the point I'm at right now is I, I kind of do view the current academic structures as predatory to adjuncts and TAs and then also to the students who, you know, are being really price gouged and, you know, their tuition money isn't even going to the professors. It's not even, it's not going to their TAs, it's not even going to the professors most of the time, it's just uh, going to the ad administration. So, of yeah, some things need to really change in higher education for me to want to be involved, but also for it to be viable in general. I kind of am skeptical about like the viability of like universities as they are right now. So we shall see in the future. I'm not dying to be involved in it <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, yeah, no, like a hundred percent. Like I totally, um, everything you're making, or excuse me, everything you're saying, like makes total sense um you know academia just becomes another um it becomes an industry engulfed by capitalism once again and uh, as such you know it becomes like a uh, um uh, an environment where um survival of the fittest is like kind of the the um the contingency of like how how far you you get in in your career or in the field or whatever it is you choose to do um and it is it's ugly and i you're not you are totally not um um out of line to say it's predatory because you're right i mean like it it's it can be literally parasitic Mm -hmm. um when uh, you are you become bound to um financial debt for um you know a better part of your life mm -hmm. um and especially when you have a liberal arts degree mm -hmm. when it's even 
more competitive to find like a like you know an industry job that you know uh provides you a reliable and sustainable income because you know it's liberal arts decrees don't are don't have that kind of promise that something like you know uh, a business school degree would would um would grant you and i and i've dealt with that too um i graduated in journalism and uh, um kind of what you said like exactly what you said about how like it you know an academic career entails moving at moments notice in order to like as sort of your um your uh rite of passage yeah. into like you know moving up in the industry and uh, what is it grand forks was that the city you were in yeah north dakota mm -hmm. uh how tell me about grand forks uh what's what's it like well it's about 45 minutes an hour away from fargo so most people know it that way through its relationship to fargo um which is the biggest city in north dakota still relatively small um then grand forks is even a little smaller than that um it's out there yeah i mean it's like it's a lot more isolated than Milwaukee, more isolated than anything that I knew, but it's pretty beautiful in its own way. It's very, it can get pretty harsh out there. It's so cold. Most people that I knew, um, you know, were pretty like skeptical of it when I went away to school. People would kind of say things to me like, you know, North Dakota, like why North Dakota? Or how cold does it get and stuff just you know um you know things that were you know a little bit hard to hear before i went there i was like oh why am i going to north dakota <laughs> um but i ended up you know developing a love for north dakota as a place i mean it's like incredible it's very beautiful it's just very vast it has these like huge fields um, and you can see so much of the sky. There aren't as many power lines here. Yeah. Um, and they have these crazy storms, which sucks when you're trying to get to school every day, but it's also beautiful. You know, you look up at the sky and it's just like, you can see so much movement in the clouds and stuff. It's, I miss that a lot, actually. I miss like just looking out my window and seeing like a huge, vast like sky and stuff. Um, it's very gorgeous. A lot to think about it there. So I miss it, actually. I feel like nostalgic for North Dakota. Um, and I met a lot of great people there. Um, I wasn't sure if there was going to be a music scene in North Dakota when I came. And I went to grad school pretty young. So I was 23 when I started grad school. So I came up and I was like, oh, I miss my band. Like, <laughs> I want to hang out with musicians. So I started just like kind of sniffing around. Um, and started going to some punk shows at this place in Grand Forks called Ohada Records, which is great. And they just like book rad shit. Um, my friend Eric Morrison over there does a lot of booking. Um, and they just book really interesting stuff. They booked this surrealist puppet show, Poncilli Recreation, it's called, if you've ever heard of them. That so it's just so like, cool. it's super cool. So it's just like random, like really cool DIY acts that are traveling like from Seattle or Portland to the East Coast or to Chicago or whatever, will sometimes come through North Dakota and they'll play in Grand Forks or Fargo usually. So I ended up like seeing some cool shit in like Grand Forks and Fargo. <laughs> um, yeah, and 
it has like a thriving noise scene there too, which is really cool. Um, uh, Anjali Karna at the Red Raven does booking there for noise. And I've just seen some like really interesting noise sets in the basement there, Seagrave Studios. So I was like very happy to find a little scene when I arrived. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got really into noise this year, like during quarantine. Hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Noise is so much fun to immerse yourself in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a different way of thinking. Um, it's a different way of listening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, cause it's, it kind of like, um, it removes itself from like the cultural context of like how we define music and it's, yeah, it is always, it's so like interesting just to like hear what kind of textures or ex sonic experiments that, um, that artists like come up with, um, like a great one in this city is Eli Smith. Like, I think he does really awesome sets himself. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I've seen him play for sure. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. Well, if I ever find myself in Grand Forks, I'll uh, I'll hit you up to. Yeah, you'll have the hookup. <laughs> find out where to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you came back. Um, so I, I guess that's a good that would be a good segue into backtracking a little bit uh -huh. um, about uh, when when you were in your first band. Ah, Cream Vellum is my first band. Hmm. Hell yeah. Okay. I think well, I really briefly had a little thing with my friend Tegan in high school called Man with a Plan for whatever <laughs> reason. Oh, hell yeah. I had one song and I think it was also called Man with a Plan. <laughs> Oh my, that is, that's rad. <laughs> so Cream Vellum, Cream Vellum. Yeah, that was my first like band band. Yeah. For sure. Dope. Um, tell me about its uh, conception. Ah, well, I think it came together pretty fortuitously. I already told you how I met Ryan. Um, and then I had been just like jamming with my friend John, who used to be in Cream Vellum and isn't anymore and lives in Lake Geneva. Um, but we ended up adding Hans, um, and I had seen Hans around before and like knew that he was a good musician. I think I had seen Peacebone play once. Um, and we just started talking and turned out we were both looking for bands to join. So, <laughs> uh, we ended up joining forces and we had pretty good chemistry right away, I would say. Um, and our songwriting process was a little bit different than it was a little bit more um, like individualistic. So I actually had songs that I had just been writing on keyboard and I wanted to have a band to kind of flesh them out a little more and get some other people who would like be into them and like, you know, be interested in like doing this project with me. Uh, but a lot of it was already written and then it was just like, all right, do we have a good rapport? Okay, cool. Like this feels good. Let's like sketch it out and see if we can make them better iterations. Totally cool. Um, I love Hans so much. Shout out to Hans. <laughs> He's a good kid. <laughs> Great kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what what was your uh, what was your like first show? As ah, our first show was at Quarters. Oh no. Yeah, it was 
was really fun. I remember how great it was. Just like, it was such an amazing feeling. Uh, shout out Pete Fisher at Quarters. I had been having like kind of a hard time because I just didn't know. It was like, all right, I have these songs and now I have this group of people to play them with me. We're arranged, we've got our amps, we're like ready to go. We're like bright eyed and bushy tailed. So then it's like, all right, how do I get a show? <laughs> it's like the next thing. So I'd been kind of like poking around to see, you know, who I knew who might be able to like put an award for us. And somehow I, someone gave me Pete's name at quarters and I hit him up just on Facebook Messenger and he was super encouraging right off the bat and like told me he'd be thrilled to have us play. Um, and then the day after we played, he like sent me a message and said like, hey, let me know if you ever want to play again. I'd, I'll open up quarters on a Monday for you. And I was like, oh my God. That's sweet. <laughs> like, the sweetest thing. So, you know, I was like a total baby at like organizing shows or anything. So having that like encouragement early on was really great. I feel like we had a lot of encouragement early on. Um, pretty much as soon as we started doing shows, I felt, you know, a wave of like love and positive feedback. So I was grateful for that. It helped. Yeah. 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 Shout out to quarters. Yeah. Sure. I also uh, remember as soon as we finished playing and all the bands had wrapped up and like the night was ending, he put on talking heads burning down the house and we all like danced. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a vibe. <laughs> um, so what was that like two, three years ago or? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Oh man. 2016. What is it now? Oh shit. Four years ago. Maybe, it, no, it must have been 2017. I take it back. It was 2017. Because oh, okay. then I, or was it? Nah, man, never mind. It was 2018. It was that recent. Because I had already graduated from college. I graduated in 2017. So it was 2018. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we have not been a band for four years. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm piecing together the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that laughs> oh, I mean, better. time is so kind of so warped these days like, I know I still in my head I like feel like it's 2018 I think yeah, yeah it it still feels like you know I just went to shows like last week you know but so okay um how did uh how did you find Tyler uh um Hans knew Tyler actually I think that Hans knew Tyler from a previous musical project or they had like jammed together a couple times Word. yeah so they just went back oh, cool yeah. um yeah uh and then of course i gotta ask you about the name cream vellum mm -hmm. um uh, cool. yeah tell me how it came to be ah we chose it ran by randomly opening up a james joyce book and like pointing at different words until we found something that sounded nice and that book is ulysses and that's how we found cream vellum. But it turns out cream vellum is like a type of writing paper. It's like a type of fancy paper. And vellum used to be like calfskin that people would write on like in olden days. Um, but now it's not actual animal skin anymore, but vellum is still like a type of thicker paper. So mostly we just liked the sound of it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's fun. Um... That is that is fun. Um, the the EP Venus. Um, so, like I mentioned before, um, I still listen to the EP this to this day. Um, it's great walking music. I love listening. 
Um, yeah. Uh, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about like each of the songs mm-hmm. and kind of what sort of the, you know, inspiration was behind. So I'll um, pull up the track listing here. Cool. Oh, and it's Venus RX RX. Venus RX. Yeah. Sorry. I. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Can't leave that part out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> Maybe it's like weird to say it, but. What does RX RX mean? Like. Oh, it's retrograde. Oh. Yeah. So it's like an astrology thing. So it's just Venus was in retrograde when we were recording. Um, and it also means like remedy, like if you get a prescription, your doctor like writes Rx on it. Uh, so we were just recording during Venus retrograde, so that's why it came to mind. Um, but I liked throwing the other Rx on too for some reason. I just thought it like rounded it out or created like a weird double negative or something. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's your sun sign, Elise? Oh, Cancer, and my moon sign is also Cancer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a uh, Capricorn sun. Ah. A Virgo moon and ah. a Taurus rising. Cool, cool. My rising is Aquarius. So you are pretty earthy. So earthy. So earthy. Is that true yeah. earth? Very earth, yes. Whoa. <laughs> Respect. I could why, use a little more earth. <laughs> this is why I do so many episodes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so grounded and driven. <laughs> so grounded. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to think so, at least. Um, So, Naivety. Um, Absolutely love this song so much. Um, uh, Would love to hear what your inspiration behind this song was. Uh, Well, this song actually we wrote last. So it almost didn't make it on the EP. We weren't sure if we were going to push it through or not. And I'm so happy that we did because a lot of people tell me that it's the one that they like the most or that they feel speaks to them the most. Um, and Ryan wrote the bass part on this. I love the bass on this. I think it like really brings it together. Yeah, and I was doing a weird thing with the like time signature at the beginning and we have some really weird chords there to start it. So that was really fun to play with some of those dissonant progressions. Uh, yeah, I mean, lyrically, I think it's a sentiment that we can all kind of understand of just like growing older and thinking about the way that you see the world now and you know thinking about ways in which our worldviews are kind of jaded and maybe feeling a little bit sad over that and a little bit nostalgic for times when you weren't as jaded even though you can't really unlearn the things that you've learned <laughs> right it's it's kind of like uh like childlike wonder yeah 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 i totally and uh, i it's the part where you saying like what I would give back to, or what I would give to get back my naivety, I think is how it goes, right? Uh-huh. That that part still gives me chills. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm glad you like that one. Oh my god, I love it. Um, and then um, "Dashing Boy," also a fantastic uh-huh. song. Um, love to hear about this one. Yeah, this is a Hans Jaeger song. Oh, Hans's chords. Yeah, yeah, a Hans, uh, a Hans original. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, Hans came to the group with these chords, and he was really excited about um, how like fast he could drum them and how he could really get that like wash of sound effect going. Um, and I loved it, so I wrote the lyrics for it. 
And we had the idea for the song to do that like kind of call and response lyrical thing where Hans sings and then I kind of sing an echo. And then at certain points we're singing at the same time and it's like the echo kind of, they come closer and then come together. Um, yeah, and lyrically, this is actually about a real person, a friend of mine who got engaged around that time. And I had never like expected her to get engaged and didn't really see her as that type of, the type of person who would like get engaged. And, you know, as like a young, like, you know, 23 year old, I was just thinking like, wait, like, why are my friends getting engaged? <laughs> like, so I think Dashing Boy, the lyrics I wrote for that are about that, that weird experience of seeing your friends kind of like get in these long-term relationships and get engaged or even married and feeling like you're on the outside of it. And I was kind of singing about like, you know, I didn't really know her fiance very well. Um, so he's the dashing boy. I was thinking like, oh, this boy that you know must be so dashing for you to run away and get married. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Relata <laughs> relatable for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. more so now, honestly. Oh, yeah. God, as we were in like the, the mid-20s limbo. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it is it is a weird feeling. I've been seeing some of that with my own friends I grew up with, too. So. Yeah, but yeah, that's a that's a fun jogging song. Ah, excellent. Yeah, yeah it's, a good, it's a good song to be in motion too, for sure. Cool. Uh, and then uh, Crushing Velvet. This is my personal favorite song on the album. This song is so fun to play. So it has that really like, this is a song that gets compared to Pink Floyd sometimes because it has that spooky intro section. Um, but I really, I just love this chord progression. It like feels really satisfying to me. And I had a lot of fun with the synthesizer on this one because I was getting a really nice like sawtoothy buzz for some of those tones. Um, I program the patches myself on my synthesizer. So sometimes when I get a really good tone, I'm just like so excited to like, I want to put it in everything. Um, so I love this one. And, you know, it starts out really slow and spooky and then it kind of bursts into like that faster like jam out section at the end so i like the different like movements of this song totally my personal favorite yeah. awesome yeah mm -hmm. it's a good one too like uh I, i've noticed y'all uh do play around with like a lot of tempo changes and kind of stuff yeah 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 i like doing that and like minor time signature changes nothing too proggy but a little bit here and there <laughs> <laughs> we we dabble yeah <laughs> um Hell yeah. Uh, and then uh, that that sports that uh, sports curse. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, sports curse. Uh, this is another like song that's a little more personal. So it seems like some of them are maybe a little more personal and some are a little dreamier, like crushed velvet. I would say the lyrics on that are meant to be like more abstract, kind of a dream sequence of being like imprisoned somewhere or like trapped somewhere and then sort of having this hallucination of like someone that you love like coming to rescue you but they're not really there you know um and then tiger song similarly is like a dream sequence song but sports curse is very personal and is about um kind of like struggling through someone's addiction with them and you know realizing that you can't um you know you can't really force anything on anyone and the best thing that you can do if you love someone who has an addiction is to just be there for them. Um, but also, you know, that feeling of frustration that comes with that, but also like 
I can't tell you how frustrated I am right now. I can't show you how frustrated I am because what you need from me is just like for me to love you, you know? You know, it's almost, there's part of you that hurts that they won't just take your advice and like stop, you know, doing the thing that you see is hurting them. Um, but you know, you, you can only be frustrated about that for so long. Cause like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like <laughs> they, you know, they still love you. Like they'll always love you, but you know, they're not going to, it just doesn't work like that. Like the relationship between, you know, the individual and the drug or whatever it is. A vice, whether yeah. that is. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah it's between works. them and it. Yeah. And like kind of realizing too, that like, part of you always will be an outsider to that experience, you know, no matter how much you love that person, what they're yeah. going through with it is like theirs first and foremost. As present as you might be for a lot of that, like as much as you think, you know, there's still like elements of it that you aren't present for. And uh, that's often, those are often the parts where, you know, like it gets most tricky. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I like was crying when I wrote that song just because like it felt so real, like some of the emotions that I was accessing for just like how badly I wanted to be able to help them carry that, but also how much I couldn't help them carry it because it doesn't yeah. look like that. Right. Because, yeah, like ultimately, you know, you also have to like you know, you have to take um, ownership of yourself and your own needs and, uh, you know, like, as much as you might want to be like this caretaker of the situation or somebody who is struggling with like addiction or abuse or, you know, you know, other, other, other issues like that, um, like you also, you ultimately do need to like, you know, um remember what is and is not in your control um yeah. and that can be a really hard uh line to draw you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and yeah I just I remember this feeling during that time period in my life of just being like what do you need like let me know what you need and I'll help you get it so you can have what you need right. but it's like to my person you know the things that they need are like you know, nothing I could provide anyway. Yeah. Outside right. of, you know, what I'm like even capable of providing, like not even like material stuff, just, you know, internally, like Tiger Song. Uh, yeah. Tell me about this one. Uh, um, yeah. Tiger Song is like a more dreamy song. Yeah. It's a lot faster paced too, but it has a really interesting, <laughs> you can hear Hans like strumming on the strings in that beginning part, which he was trying that out and I think it sounded really cool. Um, but yeah, lyrically, the song is um, just kind of about like feeling trapped and uh, like wanting to run, um, but feeling kind of like pursued by something and you don't really know what. So I kind of had that metaphor of like the tiger chasing, you know, the narrator uh, through this song, uh, just kind of getting at like a feeling of like restlessness that I was kind of feeling at the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I, I experience that feeling a lot in my dreams. Ah, yes. Like that feeling of like, you know, running from some like dark or otherwise villainous presence. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, I know you, you talk about dreams a lot, like in your social media. And I did want to actually kind of ask you a little bit more about like kind of the role dreams plays in like your art and yeah. expression. Oh yeah, thank you for asking. I feel like being open to your dreams can be really creatively stimulating. Um, I know that lines of poems have come to me in my dreams before and ideas for like three papers that I was working on too. Um, it's just like, I'll be reading something all day and like trying to write about it. And then it's like, my mind is too restless or something. But then when I go to sleep, I'll have a dream that might even have like snippets of words coming through or sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and we'll kind of have like an idea floating in my head and feel motivated to write about it. Um, but for a while I was really interested in like lucid dreaming and would kind of religiously write down what was happening in my dreams, which trains your mind to remember more and more of your dreams and you can kind of train yourself to realize when you're dreaming, which is a really interesting experience that I think, you know, everyone should try once to lucid dream. Um, it's super euphoric. You can fly, you can fly on command when you want to fly. It's better than any drug I've ever done making myself fly in a dream. So <laughs> it, feels, it feels really fucking good. It's a fucking endorphin rush for sure. <laughs> and like, you feel like, you know, powerful or whatever. I mean, it's just cool to realize you're dreaming and do shit. That's like a real thing that we can do as human beings. But you have to like keep a dream journal for a long time and do some other shit, but it's totally doable. So <laughs> I recommend it. Oh, is, is, is it a dream journal? Yay! <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm still pretty amateur at it. Um, I just kind of started in August um, recording and uh, documenting my dreams. But, nice. but, I, I think that's uh, encouraging to know what you just said about like it does take sort of um, practice and um, and uh, just I guess and that's that level of like um, consciousness that that's something to work towards. I've never lucid dreamed, um, but I'm I mean that that's kind of inspiring to hear. Um, yeah, it took me like six months at least, so. Okay, sure. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And uh, I thank you for sharing all of that. Um, cause, and I agree. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, um, yeah, uh, that's something I'm still kind of navigating right now. Like what in my dreams, like I kind of want to figure out myself, like to keep, to keep to myself versus like, you know, what might maybe something crazy happened in a dream that I want to that might inspire like a story like I want to write in the future or something like that you know I, I never used to remember my dreams but my antidepressants like uh made my dreams a lot more vivid so now I remember most of my dreams <laughs> same here and you know to be honest, I feel like sometimes there's more bullshit in my dreams now than there were before I started, like antidepressant anxiety medication. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a little bit harder to tell, because I do think there's real symbolism in our dreams, and that, um, <clears throat> you know, our minds are, like, bombarded by all this stimulus during the day, 
that we don't really have time to even process it while we're awake. So then when we're in a dream state, our mind kind of goes into this liminal space where, you know, things are still happening. There's still like symbols and signifiers and stuff and, you know, stories are being told. Um, but it's more of a playground. That's kind of how I think of it is like, sort of like a playground for your mind to just like throw things down and try a couple of things out and like see how it goes. And I do think that that's, you know, it's interpretable, interpretable, um, you know, symbols that stick out to you. I don't believe that it's fully random. You know, I think that your psyche is translating the thoughts and feelings that you're having during the day. I do think that quarantine is bringing back a lot of childhood feelings for people because, and not just quarantine, but like COVID too, you know, and like the fucking political shit show and just like the general nightmare that we're living through. Um, combined with being at home, I do think people are kind of regressing a little bit. It's a time where like regression might be happening, but regression is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think it can be a good thing. I think I've noticed some regression in myself in ways that aren't necessarily bad. I can see myself kind of like searching for more like childlike comforts and more like, I'm kind of like reclaiming like playtime has been like something that I've been on since graduating. Um, It's just like how healthy it is to just give yourself time to play. Um, But I do think uh, the conditions right now, the trauma combined with the like comfort of being at home, like, you know, your brain thinks that that might be a really good time for some childhood stuff. (laughs) So I'm I'm doing that too. (laughs) Also why I started getting into noise. Mm, Really? To be completely honest, yeah. Like, because noise became like the the sonic um, stimulation that I connected with to make sense of the chaos kind of... um, you know, driving my anxieties and existential dread and stuff, and uh, never made so much sense. Um, that kind of music, I mean, um, but yeah, um, I still occasionally get dreams about failing classes too. <laughs> yeah, Don't never go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, I. We'll definitely have to talk more about this, like, on our own time, like, dreams. Yeah, I would love to ask you more questions. Yeah, totally. Um, but for the sake of time, um, let's, uh, so we uh, we do have a one more track on the EP, uh, Glass on Glass, which I believe when I first saw y'all uh, at High Dive, y'all played, I think you played it pretty early in the set, mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, even though it's the last song in the record. Um, but, yeah, tell me about this song. Yeah, um, my favorite part of this song is that it's in five, which is kind of a time signature I don't write in that much, so it was fun to kind of challenge myself that way. And then Hans has a ripping guitar solo towards the end, which was also fun. <laughs> but there's some, like, this song has some major lifts in it, so, like, a minor chord followed by a major chord, which is kind of, like, a weird psyche feeling. I'd say it's, like, the psychiest one in the album. Um, and it doesn't really have that many lyrics. Story-wise, I think I actually wrote this in North Dakota, so I think I was kind of grappling with, like, you know, my frustration at moving and, like, some of the sense of loss that I had and, like, being homesick and stuff. Um, But it's also kind of an angry song, um, just kind of, like, frustrated. Um, But I think uh, 
you know, using some of those like psyche chords channeled that energy in a way which ended up being pretty fun. We don't play it too much anymore. Yeah, it's a relic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. That being said, um, what are you all working on now as Cream Bone? So we are working on a new album where we're going to full length. Um, and we're just kind of taking it slow because we took a break from practicing when quarantine started and we're just sort of starting to get back into it, kind of like two people at a time. Mm. And we're feeling pretty good. It feels great to be practicing again. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we got new music from yeah. Cream Bum. <laughs> oh, so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it, it, it'll be seven songs, I want to say. Um, yeah, and we're just stoked. Um, the songs are similar in mood to the first album, I would say, but there's some more complex ones on this album. Um, there's a song, Fox and Geese, that we played when we did a local live for WMSE, and we played it at shows, but we wrote it after we released the album. So there's this one song that we've been playing for a really long time, and it's like a complicated song with different time signatures, and like I use a looper at one point and stuff. Um, so I'm really excited to get that one done specifically because I think it's a banger, but I'm also just excited to like get it out of my head. And then if I forget it, it's fine. So it's done. <laughs> Otherwise, then I fucking forget it. So we should probably do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, I'm excited for the bops. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. Uh, real quick before we talk about your own project i i am kind of interested in kind of like how you decided you wanted to kind of like um for cream bell I'm like establish the kind of sound of a band that you're that you are like being kind of dream pop and like almost kind of shoegazy sometimes kind of proggy psych like kind of what um what like kind of made you want to be stylistically what you are yeah, I think that the instruments that we're playing, you know, influence our sound because we're playing kind of idiosyncratic instruments. Hans, I'm sure, told you about his guitar, and Ryan plays that violin bass, which I think was Hans's originally. Um, and Hans is, uh, you know, really into like amps and his pedal board and stuff, so he has that really great like stereo amp that has like a ton of settings on it. Um, and he uses really great pedals. And I've been using pedals more too lately. I've been hooking them up to the synth, which actually adds a lot of atmosphere and is really fun. Um, so I think we just were both kind of attracted to that type of gear. We like the washy reverb sound and we like being able to hook things up to be able to like distort them and like fuck with the signal and like, you know, do the tremolo and all that fun stuff. Um, so I think we're both like, kind of like experimental in that way, which definitely lends itself to shoegaze and psych, those types of noises. And we just like, we both love effects. Like they're fun. Who doesn't love effects? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff too. I love reverb and like, yeah, that dreamy, like washy mm -hmm. um, kind of sound. Uh, it's great. Um, there's so many different, um, like habitats you can you can 
put yourself into mentally yeah. with kinds of textures and uh, makes it so much fun. You can put yourself in space, you can put yourself in a desert, you can put yourself in the middle, on a beach, um, in, a, in a mystical forest. Like, um, yeah, I, I connect with that kind of stuff hard. So it's yeah, yeah. I love um appreciating texture. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of texture, um Elise, you have a new project that you are doing by yourself, and it is called Mirror of Light. Um so you first um disclosed a couple months ago when we first planned this um this episode, um, that you were kind of working on your own stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, you're gonna have to take it away. Tell us what you've been working on and like kind of what what this whole new um, project is like, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's kind of been a little while coming, I would say. I started it in North Dakota, but I had had the idea for it even earlier and had kind of had this desire to put some sounds together um, from some different instruments. So I play like a Casio CZ 101, which is um, a little bit little vintage synth um, from the 80s. And it's really fun, but it, it also gets these really great, super dreamy sounds, like kind of like high fluty sounds. And it has some really nice, like reverby pads too. Um, and you can distort it so you can get like buzzy sounds too. And you can like fuck with the waves. Um, so I like, I love this little synth and like I said, I've been getting more into pedals and have been experimenting more, uh, with like delay and phaser and different things that I can do by hooking pedals up to the synth. Um, and I was feeling like I wanted a little bit more freedom, uh, than I had in cream bellum. Like I wanted to sit on the ground and have everything in front of me and be able to just kind of spread out in that way and use both my hands, um, and not have to worry about kind of upholding this like front woman type of image that you kind of have to, you know, have to do if you're like standing on the middle of the stage, you've got the mic, you've got your thing, everything is set up. Um, I just like the like free flowing uh, environment that you create when you're doing noise music. Um, and I just am really attracted to, you know, having everything like in front of me and around me and being able to work in that sort of space. I'm just more drawn to that layout. Um, and then I also have always loved harp. It's been like my favorite instrument to listen to for a really long time. Um, you know, I was really, really into Joanna Newsome when I was younger. I love Joanna Newsome. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, she's, she's incredible. She's marvelous. Yeah, and like Mary Lattimore, Alice Coltrane. Um, other just like amazing femme harpists, Dorothy Ashbury is another really good one who plays jazz harp. Um, so yeah, I just, I love the sound of harp. I don't think it sounds like anything else. Um, it's just such a like lovely, like it's like a twinkly instrument. It's like, it has that trouble, you know, that treble side, um, but it also can have a lot of range depending on how you're playing it. Uh, you can pluck it, you can do the like glissando thing where you go, you know, you can get it really rhythmic. So it's actually like a super versatile instrument. Um, and I had always wanted to play one. So um, but yeah, I had just like always wanted to play the harp. 
for like years and years for like five years um so finally i just said fuck it and i bought a folk harp which is smaller than a regular harp um so it comes below my waist it comes like up to mid thigh on me so it's very lightweight i can just pick it up and like carry it around uh, which is perfect for me um but yeah it's beautiful and i love it so <laughs> it's been really great and i was very excited to incorporate it into my solo music um because i really like the sound of this like dreamy synth through you know these different pedals with um the more like acoustic kind of folky element of the harp sure totally well, beautiful uh super exciting stuff um <laughs> yeah and um eddie uh from gauss my partner is going to be contributing some guitar and I think I'm going to have a couple other people featured on different tracks too. So this all goes well. Boy. Yeah. Shout out to Gauss. Shout out to Gauss. Shout out uh, to Gauss. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I, I've heard they're not totally done yet. So. Hell no, they're not. They got an album coming. Oh, good. Good. Um, so that being said, um, so like in terms of like song structures, like um, how are you kind of like uh, um, arranging like your pieces? Like, um, are you playing with melody? Is it kind of more like, uh, are you doing lyrics? Like kind of what are you, uh, what are some elements that um, are going along with the instrumentation here? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I'm definitely all in on the lyrics and I kind of have this storytelling approach where each song is a little bit of its own story. Um, I have one story which is, oh, how do I describe it? Um, I have one song which is kind of about um, like industrialization in like the early 20th century, um, which was kind of based on a trip that I had taken to Buffalo, New York, and the town surrounding Niagara Falls. I was really like blown away by this trip that I went to Buffalo this one time. And so it's kind of like an ode to like Rust Belt towns, especially ones um, on lakes, because that Niagara Falls is on Lake Erie. And it kind of reminds me of Milwaukee and Chicago being on Lake Michigan, more so Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of a song about industrialization but it's told through the lens of this really weird thing that was happening. Or I guess it's not weird, it's human nature. But this thing that was happening in the time when Niagara Falls was becoming this big tourist attraction and Buffalo was this like port city that was getting like a lot of business. Um, people were going over the falls in like barrels and were tight roping, tight rope walking across them. And they were like obsessed with doing this. So I'm kind of working with these two like parallel narratives about like these like daredevil types who were doing stunts on the falls and kind of the like slow decline of the town at the time. So that's just an example of sort of the like type of storytelling approach that I'm taking with it. Oh wow, so this is some like <laughs> historical context. <laughs> yeah, that's a complicated one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, super cool. Uh, that's delightful. Um, so with uh, this new project, so Mirror of Light, uh, wh wh where does the name come from? Um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of like thought of it one day, but I do, I love the word mirror, M-E-R-E, -E, because it has multiple meanings. So 
So one meaning of it is like a small lake or a river, like a shallow lake or a pond. Um, so when I think of like a mirror of light, like M-E-R-E, I think of like a pond, which is just, it like barely looks like water. It's just like reflecting the light back from the sky. You know what that looks like when you like see a lake and it's just like yeah. flowing. Yeah. yeah. So that's an image that I really like. But then um, it also sounds like mirror, like M-I-R-R-O-R. So that's a little bit of wordplay. And then mirror of light, mirror also means like a small amount. So it could also mean dim. Like there's a little bit of light, mirror of light. So it's kind of like a triple meaning. So hopefully it's oh. flexible enough to encompass different songwriting styles within it. <laughs> Damn. So there's a illumination uh, ambiguity uh, yeah. going on over here with the wordplay. <laughs> we well, don't know. It's gentle, we're... artistic punnery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing to worry about here. <laughs> Did you did you study English or or something? I don't or? know. I like might have a somewhere around here type Probably shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, love that. Um, so uh, yeah, what are what are you uh, in terms of like bodies of work and songs and kind of stuff like uh, what can we expect? Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on an album right now, so I am planning to have. Um, an album or EP out by like March 1st is kind of my, you know, tentative date. Uh, but I actually have a song and my friend Anthony Clementi is doing a video for it. So we've been collaborating a little bit and just, I've been sharing some music with him and he's been sharing some visual content with me and we've been kind of getting inspired by each other's creations. So I think we're going to try to release something in the next month or so. So awesome. come on up. Hell yeah. That's yeah. so exciting i'm so excited to hear it i mean this sounds like i mean i don't i mean i know there's some really interesting and like you know eclectic experimental and noise artists in the city but you know i don't it, it sounds like it's something very much like uh your own like instinctual authenticity being as somebody who's poetic and uh, you know um, inspired by a lot of literary theory and that being juxtaposed with like harp and uh, you know soundscapes and uh, storytelling and uh, you know like kind of what you were saying earlier just sitting down and kind of approaching the, the set and like the actual interface with like a, a more like um, you know experimental um, uh, optimization like, I don't know anyone who's combining all of those elements into one like you are, Elise. Uh -huh. So this is, I'm, I love, I always, I get so excited. I get most excited for like the new, like um, DIY projects and stuff that come out of our, uh, our scene. So, I mean, I'm very, very excited for the new Cream Bellum record. Um, you know, I've been a huge fan since I first saw y'all. And uh, of course, I'm very excited for your own uh, for Mirror of Light as well. So, you know, let me know uh, when you when you drop um, in the in the months to come. Yeah, and, uh, I would be so happy to, you know, uh, feature your music um, on the site and uh, also just support you in any way I can. Aw, thanks, Ben. I am so excited to share it. It's gonna feel great, and you know, it's just. 
it feels good to be at that point of being able to, you know, put things together for other people to enjoy and, you know, to hopefully like, you know, bring them like some <laughs> sort of entertainment or happiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really good. It's, it can, that kind of music can be, you know, most comforting in these times of so much, uh -huh. you know, emotional and, uh, um, and uh, spatial despair and confusion and absurdity that's going on uh -huh. um, in this hellscape of year. So, yeah. I imagine, like, you know, everything that, like, um, has transpired this year has probably uh, played a role mm -hmm. in, you know, what you've been thinking about, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with everything that's been happening, like, kind of just the exhaustion of being involved in the pandemic, um, you know, it's, it's, tempting to put creativity on hold and you know let time kind of pass by which i think it is important to be able to put things on hold and to let your body and your spirit and your mind rest when you need to um that said i also think you know it's not it's like a bad time to release things or whatever so it feels pretty wild to be not only planning to release things during the pandemic, but just starting an entirely new project, like off the ground. Um, you know, I know that from like, whatever, like a publicity standpoint or whatever, it's not like an optimal time for that. But I also know that like, when it's done, it's done. And like, I, I want people to have it. And I like, want people to, you know, be able to access it during hard times. And like, the old times too of course yeah. and when this is if, i mean and if, if this is your medium of expression i mean that's what you do and and that's okay and that's that should be embraced yeah and that's why you know it's it's no one should feel selfish for creating or sharing like what you know they're they're um what they're working on right now um you know, like, I think there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, but, yeah. mm -hmm. but to, to be like, yeah, I agree with that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. but, but when, when it comes to like, actually, like, this is how you make sense of very uh, perplexing um, state that we are in as, you know, community, as a society, um, you know, like, uh, it's beautiful that you can you can make sense of that through through sound and texture and you know whatever it is you do so um so i'm glad you're doing it elise and uh so as we're closing out here um winding down um I ask everyone the same two questions on our way out elise what keeps you up at night ah mm, when my cats chase each other around the house yeah that oh man my my parents cats used to do that so much and uh it would keep me up too <laughs> <laughs> what are your cats names cal and hero oh they're cute oh hero's over here you want to see her? I'd love to. 
She's sleeping. Oh, hi. <laughs> Kiro, it's Ben. Wake up. Hi, Kiro. Hi. Kiro, wake up. Hello. I love when cats appear in Mr. Nice Guy. It's the best. Um, That she could contribute. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, What puts you to sleep? Ah. um, Yeah, uh, just like reading a little bit before bed, uh, like reading a chapter of a book or a poem, Uh, drinking a little tea is always nice. There you go. Love it. Or a hot toddy, maybe, you know, it is a scene. Or a hot toddy. <laughs> it doesn't freak you up. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, Elise, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. It's been great. <laughs> it's been so much fun. And um, I'm so happy we've, we got to share space and uh, and talk about uh, Cream Vellum, about Mirror of Light, and about dreams, about academia. Um, you know, all... You know, very uh, engaging stuff. So for everyone watching, I'll be tagging links to Cream Vellum. Um, probably by the time this is out, uh, Mirror of Light Love had their first single out. Uh, so I'll be tagging that too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, stay happy and stay healthy, folks. Uh, keep creating. Um, don't feel pressure to create, but don't feel bad about it either. If that is what you must do for yourself and uh, Uh, your wholesomeness so thank you for watching mr nice guy we'll see you next time